Father, we do thank you that you have given us your son and you have left your spirit on earth until the work is done. And we need for you to do a work now. So we ask, Spirit, that you would help us have maybe some new clarity and even an encounter with the Son this morning, even as you're already giving that to us, that you would continue that and meet us each where we are, we ask in your name, amen. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2 for the next couple of weeks. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up. If not, there are a few Bibles, or you can do it electronically. We'll have it on the screen, but it'll just be up there for the reading, and we're going to refer to it a fair amount over these next two weeks. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 30, 36 through 47. And as you're turning there, here's a rhetorical question. You can just think about it. What is community? When you think about community, what does that mean to you? It's kind of a, it's a bit of a buzzword these days, right? People love to talk about community and different aspects. Well, according to Oxford, you know, the dictionary, a, it's a group of people living in the same space same place, or having a particular characteristic in common. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of the physical aspect. Then it also says this, which is a little more the intangible part, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Being a Christian, being a Jesus follower, a disciple, involves being a part of a community. There's no other way for this to work, according to the story that God has given to us. So as we start a new year and you're looking at filling up your calendar, and I don't know how many of you have already done that. You've figured out that you have no time left in 2020. (laughs) Hopefully that's not the case. As you're looking at this, why be a part of a church? I mean, why waste your time? You got plenty of other things to do, right? What is this all about? Acts helps to give us a perspective on what this church thing is about, what it's supposed to look like, why someone might even want to be a part of this kind of a community. So a summary up to the point where we're going to read, we're going to pick this up at the very end of Peter's sermon. We have Jesus who has lived and he has died and he has been raised and he's ascended and he sent the Spirit to this small community that has been walking with him and following him. We have this, and then Peter preaches his first, what we would now call, sermon. And I'm sure, I would assume it's a lot longer than what we have, because it takes you like two minutes to read. And have you ever heard a two-minute sermon? (laughs) Not for me, you haven't. (laughs) So I'm sure there's there's a lot, so there's a summation of it. But Peter is, in this sermon, connecting the ancient Jewish story to Jesus' story and Jesus' life. So this is the immediate backdrop to what we're going to read. And we're going to read, not the whole sermon, but we're going to read the last little thing that Peter says in the sermon. And then we'll read what happens. So this is Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 36. Let all the, this is Peter's sermon, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's the way to end the sermon. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save, yourself, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their, home, in their homes, they, were, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So Father, as we hear this account that you inspired that was a real account of what you were doing by your Spirit as a result of the work of what Jesus has accomplished for us. This is something that was historic. It, it really happened. And it is also something we need to hear today so that we might understand the things that you need for us and want for us to understand about who we are and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and a part of a community of disciples of Jesus. So we ask yet again for your spirit to lead and to guide and direct and exalt our king. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. So if you've been in church much, you've probably heard this passage talked about and preached on. There's lots of ways to look at it, but what is it that we need to hear specifically in our situation? I'm on my own journey with what is the church, I, uh, I've been on this journey for a long time, involved in lots of different churches and new churches and things like that, and I'm still wrestling with what is the church. And I don't know that that's a bad, it can be a bad thing, but it doesn't have to be a bad thing. What, what is this church thing? Here's the big, a big idea that comes out of the text that I want us to, to hear, hopefully, from the text that we can grab hold of and wrestle with for the next couple of weeks, and it's this. What is the church? Well, the church is to be a community formed around Jesus that is reanimated by the life of Jesus. This is one way to look at what the church is, and we want to talk about it like this. I I think it provokes a few questions for us that I want to examine, and the questions are this. What draws the community? What grows the community, and then what empowers the community? And those last two questions we're going to look at next week. This week, we're just going to look at the first one. What is it that draws the community? Well, as we do this, and we think about what draws, we have to ask the question about attraction, because drawing is really about attraction. What attracts us? Attraction is a fairly complicated thing. I don't know if you've sat back and like thought about what attracts you to one thing over another. That's actually pretty complicated. It's hard to articulate. What makes something or someone attractive to you that draws you is not necessarily easy to explain. So without going into all the psychology of attraction, one, because I'm not qualified to do so, and two, because I don't think that's what the text is really about, we do want to hear what God has to say about attraction 
What is it that draws community together? Aspects of attraction. So to look at it, we want to look at three different aspects of attraction. And they're, they're this, attraction from God, attraction of the community, and then attraction to the core. This just gives us a little bit of an outline for where we're, where we're going to go. This idea, starting off with, attraction from God. Where's this coming from? Well, verse 39 says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And then in verse 47, he says, it says, the Lord added to their, the Lord, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. There's something that we're not privy to here. If God calls people and he adds people, he must be attracting them. He must be drawing them. This is beyond what we can fully comprehend. And, and we don't have to fully comprehend it, right? The text doesn't give us some huge explanation. It just states that this is how it is. It's something it invites us to embrace, to accept. There's something outside of you working on you. There's something outside of you working for you. God is at work attracting and drawing people to himself and then also to the community centered on his son. He's doing this. So how do you, uh, what do you do with this? Like, what's the response that we have? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is, this explanation can give a background to your personal experience. So when you think about your own experience, this can help you understand a little bit of the backstory that you're not privy to. If you feel like you're being drawn to this Jesus, maybe it's because someone's drawing you. Maybe it's something more than just your own great reasoning and knowledge and wisdom. Maybe. Um, So what do you do with this? Well, maybe this means you are personally and particularly loved and wanted because someone is choosing to love and want you. That'll change your life. To know that someone else is wanting you, is choosing you. If you are attracted, maybe it's because someone is attracting you. Hmm, there's a comfort there for us. And then secondly, it's very freeing. This has become a freeing for the last couple of decades. I think this has become a freeing thing for me. No matter how hard you work, our job is not ultimately to add to or to grow a community or even hold a community together. That's not our job. I think sometimes I misunderstand what my job is. That's not it. We don't save people nor do we save churches. We can't force people to truly believe something. You know that, right? If you've ever raised kids, you can't force them to believe anything. Of course, we want to persuade others to trust someone that we believe is truth in life. Absolutely. I want to persuade everybody about the one who I believe is truth in life. But we can't really persuade their whole person. Why? Because it's not my responsibility. It's someone else's responsibility who is quite significantly larger and greater and better than me and than you. God is drawing and his spirit is at work uniting us to himself and to each other. That's his job. If we, if we want to be a community formed by Jesus, this reanimated by his life, we have to continually be drawn, attracted by God. We have to experience an attraction from God. 
What do you, what do, you do with that? I mean, it, it's, it's comforting and it's freeing, but this also is, is part of the reason we need prayer. We, it, we speak with the one who has this ability to attract. This flavors and it, and it forms the way even we go into prayer. Lots of other implications that you can think through. So let's move on from there. So with this overarching reality, right, this fundamental premise that God is one that's drawing, people seem also to be attracted to community itself. It's, it's almost like we're made for community because we're made for community. What is the attraction of community? All right, I, I dare propose this as a non-rhetorical question. What is it that attracts you to any kind of community? Does anybody, you don't have to say something. Does anybody want to blurt something out? Fellowship. Fellowship. Good. Somebody else said something back there. Belonging. Belonging. Support. Support. The way you love each other. Needed. Connected. Needed. Common interest. Camaraderie. Did I hear camaraderie? Sharpening. Okay, there's, there's tons of things, and there's probably things specifically to faith church community that's drawn you, that's attracted you, right? I, don't, I mean, you just named a lot of them. Maybe it's this incredible thing, right? That, that's beautiful, the choir I was referring to. Sorry, they're not here anymore. They're out there now, right? Right? Maybe, maybe, maybe you like the, the theology, or you like the teaching, or there's, there's all kind of things that draw us, right? What draws us to community? Well, one answer is the attraction of the community. I mean, I mean that's just the reality of it. Was, was this community in Acts chapter 2 that was being formed, was it attractive to those on the outside? Do we know it from the text? Uh, I think so. All right, right? The, this fledgling church of thousands, right? There's literally thousands in Acts 2. They were gathering and they were eating and they were giving and they were celebrating um, they were vulnerable in their sharing of life. They were, it says, having favor with all the people. Oh, okay. I guess that's saying something about their attractiveness in that sense. They were attractive to their neighbors. People's attraction to a church. Um, and then maybe you're not a part of faith church, so you can think about this in whatever other communities you may be a part of. But if you're a part of faith church, people are attracted to faith church for positive things, right? You hope that's happening here. You hope so. This is going to press into this a little bit. This may get a little bit uncomfortable. Do we make room for others? I'm just going to throw some things out there. Are we welcoming, welcoming to those who are not just like us, but who may be a little different or very different? Are we? Do we make space for people to process their beliefs and stories? Or do we require them to embrace our beliefs and our story in order to even get a hearing within us? Are we warm and welcoming is a legitimate, maybe uncomfortable question, but it's very important, I would say, as you step into, as we step into the new phase of whatever God's going to do with Faith Church, and as we step into this new year, a community centered on Jesus is to be reanimated by the life of Jesus. If his life is one of welcoming and self-giving care for others, then being reanimated by his life, both individually and as a community, is going to be seen in us. 
and it will be attractive to some. This is part of that salt and light that Jesus talked about that we're to be to the broader community, even if it's a little strange and uncomfortable both for us and maybe for others. So this is dealt with in many places throughout the New Testament. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 2. He says this, Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance of death to death, and to the other, a fragrance of life to life. How are we doing on our attractiveness? Here's a personal inventory for us to take as individuals, but also as a community of people. How are we doing? This is a legitimate question for us to consider it can be a little scary. It can certainly be convicting. It is for me, personally, depending on our perspectives and how closely we may want to look at our wrinkles. Do we have any wrinkles in the room? <laughs> I have a few wrinkles myself, I am realizing. Or my kids are realizing and telling me, I should say. Here's the reality. Attraction of a community is a real thing that draws people in. Okay? I think the text is telling us this. This seems to be the case in Acts 2. But for them and for us, please listen to this part. That attraction is often short-lived and insufficient to hold most people together long-term. As great as this community is, it's still pretty messed up. If, you, if we know ourselves well. When you get people together, especially people who are attempting to be vulnerable and open with each other, the attraction can fade, can't it? You have your wedding day, <clears throat> and you dress up, and you look beautiful, and you're wonderful, and oh my gosh, the smells and the sights, it's just incredible. And you go on your honeymoon, and you have the most incredible night, right? This is wonderful. This is beautiful, and you wake up the next morning to this one who was so beautiful the night before and smelt so good, and you smell her dragon breath. <laughs> right? The reality of community when we get to know each other is we start to smell each other's breath. <laughs> and it's not always attractive. The gospel story says our attractiveness does not come by trying to be attractive nor is our mission really that we are to go out and attract others. I know there seems, it's like a, a fine line there, but there is a, a chasm between those two things. The attraction of this kind of a community doesn't come by staring at the mirror, dressing up, putting on makeup to hide our blemishes, getting more Botox treatment. I don't know if that's a thing anymore. As a thing before, get a Botox treatment, get your facelift, or trying to even get the world around you to, to, to admire how beautiful you are, right? The attractiveness that we are to offer the world is to be the aroma of another one. That comes not by staring at ourselves or promoting ourselves, it comes by staring at another. There is something beautiful about people as they fall in love with with someone. Have you noticed this before? So I have my son and daughter-in-law happen to be in town this uh, week. 
They live in Charleston, South Carolina, and they came in a few days ago. So they're the last ones that I kind of watched this, well, one of the last ones I kind of watched this with personally. They got married a year and a half ago. As my son met her and fell in love with her, there was a change that happened in him that was beautiful. As he was attracted, he became more attractive. You know what I'm saying? So, What is the stronger draw that brings and holds a community together? It's when we're more attracted to the core than we are the community. It's okay that we're not attractive. As a matter of fact, we need to be honest about where we're not attractive. When the core becomes more beautiful than the beauty of the community, which is true, but also the core's goodness and the aroma overshadows the bad breath of the community. Our unattractiveness. How many times, so my wife and I have been a part of many different churches and startup kind of churches, and we've watched people come into the community, and, they lo- and even here, they, they come in and they'll, they'll love it, right? They love that they're accepted. They loved a lot of the things that we talked about that you guys listed. Love that they're accepted. Love some of the things that were being said or some of the things that we did. And they started off even enjoying people. But over time, especially as things and people showed themselves to be hard and ugly, it was difficult to stay connected. A lot of reasons for this in my own history that I need to take responsibility for, where I have been unattractive and maybe repulsive at times. I need to take responsibility for that. At the same time, if Jesus is not the compelling center, or quite honestly, if Jesus is lost as the center, the bond of the body will disintegrate So the draw of the community formed around Jesus needs to fundamentally stay Jesus. He's everything. He and what he's done must continue to be the real attraction. No matter what phase Faith Church steps into next, who is our center? Who is the attraction? And we're going to look at this in more detail next week. But I want to briefly look, and when we look at what grows us and what empowers us, but I want to briefly, from the beginning of this text, look at this. The community that was being drawn together, formed after Peter preached the sermon about Jesus, they had a response. Many of the people had a response. And we read that in verses 38 through 41. So if you look at 38 through 41, what's their response? Well, they, and Peter says do it, and then they did it, okay? Repented. They changed their mind. Metanoia is the word for repent, change of mind. It's a change of your whole being. It's a reorientation of your thoughts and your affections toward this Jesus. They repented, and they also were baptized. Baptism is a big deal. This is, this is the sign Jesus has given to us that you are belong to him, of his washing of you, of his entry, of your entry into his community, of his kingdom. They were baptized, and they believed. They received the promises of God not just generically, but were for them. That's what it says. So this was their response. Why? Why do they respond this way? Well, we're we're kind of working our way back up to the beginning of the passage that we read um, that set this whole thing in motion. What happened to them that provoked this response? Verse 37 says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. That is... That that word is to experience acute emotional distress, implying both concern and regret. They were even greatly troubled. 
They were cut to the heart. Why? Well, the conclusion of Peter's sermon, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And they were cut to the heart. They're cut to the heart by the story and the person of Jesus. Not by all the good things of the community. They were cut to the heart by the person and the work of Jesus. These people repented, they were baptized, they believed the promises of God were for them, not because of some generic view that God is, God is good, you know, oh, that cut me to the heart, God's good, or that he loved them, oh, God, God, generic. he loves me because he loves all people, right? Or even that God is truth, like, yes, this God is truth. Those things aren't what cut, him, cut them to the heart. They responded because they were drawn to Jesus, he cut them to the heart. The one who was sent by God to be God's answer and rescue, we crucified. We despised, we rejected. This one God raised and honored. He's the king who did not come to condemn the world, but to be condemned by the world and for the world in order, in order that the world might be saved through him. This is very personal, very particular. And in the person of Jesus, God reveals his own character, the fullness of this Yahweh of the old story embodied in this Jesus. His full character is being seen, proving his acceptance, his tangible extension of forgiveness and grace in the person of Jesus who then pours his spirit onto us to draw us to this Jesus. Jesus is not just one of many nice, attractive ornaments of the church. He is the attraction. He alone is the attraction. We become part of a community centered around Jesus that is being reanimated by the life of Jesus when we are cut to the heart by the ultimate attraction of Jesus and are therefore attracted to Jesus. And our attraction to him is what, over time, we're going to talk about this more next week, is what over time will make us attractive, not because we're trying to be, but our attraction to him is what will make us attractive to a world around. Let's pray. Father, this reality that uh, you've made us to be in community, this is just something I think whether we believe that you exist or not or we believe this gospel story or not is something at some level we experience and we realize. And Lord, we have, we have broken, we've shattered community and we desperately need for the one who made us to recenter us. So Lord Jesus, with all the, the good and the bad that's a part of this particular community, or whatever community anyone here might be a part of, we ask that Jesus would re recapture us. He would be lifted high and exalted, that we'd find him beautiful. And being attracted to him, we would be reanimated by his beauty and his life. For we ask this in your name. Amen.